welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, my friends. If you would make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Yeah, totally. Get yourself one. Uh, I don't know if I introduce myself. If you're new, my name's Micah. I'm one of the pastors here, and in just a moment, we will jump into the teaching for this morning. Uh, I will say before I do, November the 24th, if you are interested, we are filling up the baptismal tank, which is a horse trough, but it works. It holds water, and it'll be right up there, and so we're going to be baptizing some people, at least one adult and at least one infant, so if you are interested or you want to baptize your child, uh, please let me know, Micah at awakenwest7.com, and we can talk through what that would look like and what that means. So. Um, November 24th, you should know that. I want to begin this morning with a Jewish proverb. I found this this week and I was like, oh, when's the last time I started a sermon with a Jewish proverb? Well, never. So we're doing it today. Um, so Rabbi Elimelech and Rabbi Zusha were wandering, sort of, home, well, disguised as homeless and beggars, uh, wandering around from village to village, and they would do this and they would share their wisdom and their stories and uh, inspiration with their brothers and sisters across the country. And late one evening, they wandered into a town looking for a place to stay. This is a while back, a few hundred years ago. They wandered into this town for a place to stay. They found, uh, found a home, came upon a home, which was quite lovely, uh, a large estate. And so they went to the, wind, or the doors, knocked on the doors. And the rich man opened the door, and they said, you know, we're so-and-so, and we're looking for a place to stay. And he said, I do not run a hotel. There is a poor house down the street by the synagogue. You will likely find uh, lodging there. And slam the door shut. So, oh, geez, Louise. So uh, Elimelech and Zusha continued on their way. They, they found the next home, which happened to be the town scribe. And they knocked on the door. And uh, at the scribe's home, they were welcomed in to a fire and tea and a meal. And all the resources and home of the scribe were at their disposal and available to them and for them, which was lovely. A few years later, they were actually uh, they were, uh, invited back by the town, the townspeople, after, after now becoming sort of somewhat famous rabbis. They were uh, asked to come and share Shabbat and their presence and their teachings with the town. And so at a, a reception to welcome them and honor them, a man stood and said, Rabbis, I've been granted by the town council the, the privilege and honor of hosting you. Uh, Reb Fivel is my name, and you, uh, all the preparations have been made. We're, I'm very excited to host you. Uh, you can tell your coachman uh, how, to find the, uh, how to find the house, but rest assured, everyone knows where Reb Fievel lives. So uh, sure enough, the, the coachman br brings the luggage and the horses and the coach and all their clothes and uh, brings it to the rich man's house and gets everything settled, and the coachman settles into the servants' quarters, and hours pass, like no rabbis. Rich man's looking around, what's going on here? So he goes to the coachman, he says, hey, where are, the, where are the honored guests? When are they coming? And the coachman says, oh, uh, the, the Rabbi Elimelech and Zusha are staying at the, they're not coming, they're staying at the scribe's house. And the rich man is just incensed, he cannot believe this is happening. He's like, you got to be kidding me, what are you doing here then? He says, those were the rabbi's instructions. He says, take the horses and the luggage to Reb Fievel's and we're going to stay with the scribe. So Reb Fievel rushes down to the scribe's house, bangs on the door, Opens the door, and there they are. Sure enough, the rabbi is eating, drinking, merry, merriment happening right there. And the uh, Reb Fievel says, Rabbis, uh, please tell me, what have I done to deserve such a disgrace that I would host you and you would not come to my home? And Rabbi Elimelech says, oh, but you are hosting us. 
the, at least the, the part of us that you desire to host. The last time you, we were here, we didn't have a coach and horses and a coachman and our clothes, and you turned us away. So it was not us that you wanted in your home, but clearly our coach and our horses and our luggage, who are now currently enjoying your hospitality, and we thank you. Okay, that went slightly better than the first hour. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's my delivery or the material, but first hour, it was just like crickets. I was like, Jenna, like, what's going on here? And she's like, just do it again, see if it's any better. <laughs> so there you have it, friends. Welcome to Awaken. We're in week four of a series called Values and DNA. Each year, we sort of gather around in the beginning of the year and wonder about what kind of church we want to be and why. Right? The mission of the church is somewhat static, it's somewhat large and, and, and connected to what God has invited the, the people of God, the church on this side of the resurrection to be and do in the world, to partner in renewal and restoration, redemption of all things, this is what God is up to. But then like the, the vision and the values of a church are a bit more particular, and we get to choose them, we get to pick them, and so there are these words that have been stated over here on my left and your right, and these are words that have shaped and helped guide this church, and they informed us. They were a response to or an outflow of this community and the season that we have been in. And so as we come to a new season and we, we lean in to hear what the Spirit might be saying to us, there are some things that, are, that we are hearing that are not stated on that values board. And so as we started thinking about, like, okay, what does that mean? It was like, well, let's... Let's restate them. Let's pare some things down. Let's put some things together. And let's say some new things that we hear God saying to us now. And so that's what this series is about. We've talked about Jesus, that Jesus is in the center of this community. We want his teachings and life to be informing how we show up in the world. We've talked about a holistic understanding of the gospel, holism as a value, that the Bible and the good work of God is not just about heaven after we die, but in fact about this world right here and right now and how you show up to your work and why you start Wildflower Coffee. We've talked about authenticity last week and that we want to be people who are growing in authenticity, that our insides match our outsides. I don't know about you, but whenever I... I'll say it this way. The most inauthenticity I've experienced in my life has often been at the church. You know what I'm saying? Where like what you hear up here is very different than what happens in like week to week, day to day. When you, you know, this person stands up here and they're this something and then you meet them and you're like, oh my gosh, you're nothing like that. That's not what we're looking for, right? So what you see is what you get. That's what we hope for. Uh, maybe to a fault at times. You know, it's just very raw, very real, hopefully authentic. Our insides match our outsides. And so today, we explore this value of hospitality. Now, it might seem weird that a church is naming hospitality as a value, like hotels do this, and hospitals, and restaurants. You know, they're in the business of hospitality, but like, why a church? So what I want to do today is look at three passages from the New Testament, two that Paul wrote, one from the author of Hebrews, and they speak about hospitality, and there are different words connected to it. I want to look at that and see if we can learn something from it. How do we, how do we relate to this idea of hospitality, and then I want to anchor it in why. And we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, the first five books of the Bible, Torah, to, to try to understand why is hospitality connected to the life of the people of God. Are you with me now? Okay, so if you can, I'll invite you to stand, and we'll read these first three passages, just short little ones, from Paul and Hebrews, and then we'll dive in. So here we go. Romans chapter 12, we'll begin there. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4. Above all, you should pay attention whenever our author says that. Above all, <laughs> love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins, and offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Above all, love each other, offer hospitality. And then the writer of Hebrews. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have been shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Pray with me. God, as we gather uh, as the church in your name, lots of, uh, lots of different things in the room today. And so to the degree that we can affirm that or are interested in that, the church gathered in your name, we do so, and we trust that you are at work, that you want to say something, and I pray that today, as we think about hospitality and what it means to be hospitable, that for those who have felt uh, maybe on the outside of something, that they would have a different experience today. For those that have felt that they weren't at the table or welcome to the table, that they would have a different experience, that they would know you and something true about who you are. So I pray that in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said together. Amen. You may be seated. If we're going to talk about hospitality, we should first def define it. In the New Testament, it's Greek. The Old Testament, most uh, Hebrew. Almost all of the New Testament is in Greek, a little bit in Aramaic, but it's a Greek word that gets translated hospitality. It's the Greek word philozena, and it's from two words that get put together, all right? So let's break this down. Philo, or phileo, is one of four Greek words that get translated love, and each one of them has a different kind of nuance. Phileo is brotherly love, so you might see where this is going, right? The city in our country named Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There you go. You just learned a Bible lesson. Good job, everybody. Phileo, brotherly love, and then xeno, or xenia. It's the stranger. Xenophobia is the fear of the stranger. You may have heard about this lately, right? All this talk about immigration and the fear of people who are different than us. Xenophobia. So hospitality is the opposite of that. It is the extension of love and care for the one who is the guest, the stranger, the traveler, the sojourner, the wayfarer, the immigrant. Here's an all-play question. If you've never been to Awaken, every once in a while I'll throw out an all-play question. What that means is I'd like you to play. So speak up. Say what you think. Um, here's the question. Are you ready? Thank you. <laughs> Two of you are ready. Um, when you have experienced hospitality, a generous outpouring of hospitality, what did you feel? I heard it. What? Warmth. Yes. What else? Acceptance. Welcome. Thank you from the transept. I didn't even have to ask. Say it again. Honor. Okay, yeah. Included. Equal. Good food. Hala. Cared for. Say it again. Inspired. Yeah. I see that. I was, you dressed up as Mr. Rogers, did you not? For, yeah, that's great. That's great. For Halloween, I saw that on Facebook. I was like, oh, that is a great costume. <laughs> Hello, neighbor. Trick or treat. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, inspired. What else? 
A sense of family? Yes. Wanted. Desired. Yeah. Hospitality. When it happens, man, it's a game changer. <laughs> we should do this more often based on all the feelings that, that happen when we feel welcomed, when we are practiced on with hospitality. So these three verses that we read, let's pull out a couple of words from each of them. The first of which from Romans chapter 12. Paul says in verse 13, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and then depending on your translation, it may say practice hospitality, the word is diako, different than when it's translated practice in other, pursue is the best translation, I think, of that word. Pursue, diako means this, it means to uh, run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing, to run after to press on figuratively of one who in a race runs swiftly to reach the goal. So Paul says, as it relates to hospitality, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and chase after, run after, like pursue hospitality. I remember when I was uh, in elementary school, we played a game that is outlawed, guaranteed by now. It was called Kiss or Kill. Does anybody remember this? It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we played that and that they let us. The teachers were probably like, look at him run, just whatever it takes, let him go, it doesn't matter. But the game was, you know, one person would be it and you'd say, kiss or kill. And they would never say kiss, they would always say kill. And so then you'd chase them. And so I remember as a kid, like second grade, Central Lutheran in, you know, Lexington, Minnehaha, the bowl that was our playground, we would just run relentlessly all recess after each other, chasing the person who was it, hoping that we might catch them, you know, and then kill them. And then they were out. Is this what Paul means? Have you ever chased something, like ran after it, as if you wanted to attain it? This is the metaphor, this is the word Paul uses, pursue, chase after, run after, and it's not, it's an action, it's an ongoing verb. So he's saying, don't just do it once at Thanksgiving when you're obligated to do it, but like keep doing it over and over, keep chasing after it, keep running after it. May it be a constant attitude in your heart so that our homes and our apartments are always at the ready to welcome someone in. So a question for you as we begin in your spiritual life, what are you running after? Like in your spiritual journey, in your like spiritual world, as you think about your own life, what are you chasing after? What are you desiring? What are you running for? What are you hoping to attain? I, as I thought about, I try to think about the questions I ask you, you know, the week that I'm preparing. And as I thought about this, like the one thing that came to mind when I was in my 20s and going to seminary and learning about God, what I was running after was getting it right. Like right belief that I would get it all correct. And I was like hell bent on getting it, you know, to, no pun intended. Uh, a friend of mine, Judy Peterson, who was with us this last weekend, sent me a text, and I want to read a portion of it to you, because she said, you know, Micah, I was reading this, and I thought of you and Jenna and Awaken. So this is a Quaker pastor, uh, a guy named Philip Gully, 
who is wondering about, like, if we had to rebuild Christianity from the bottom up, like, if that were needed and necessary, what would it look like? And so he's written a book, (laughs) he's written a book called If the Church Were Christian. And these are a few of the descriptions that he offers as what would it look like if we had to rebuild this thing from the ground up so that Christianity, like, had a hearing in the culture and world that we live in. He says this, Jesus is a model for living more than an object of worship. Affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness. The work of reconciliation would be valued over making judgments about others. Gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. Encouraging the personal search of one is more important than group uniformity. Meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. (laughs) Oh, snaps. Somebody's in my kitchen. Peacemaking is more important than power. I think generous hospitality would be would fit in this category of thinking. If we were to rebuild the church and Christianity from the ground up, would, it be, would, 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 would there be generous hospitality where we pursued it and chased after it as valued and important, maybe even more than getting it right? Arguably, getting it right in our search for it has not produced much fruit. Not saying it isn't important, but when we have an insatiable desire for it at the expense of others, it doesn't do what we think it might do. Generous hospitality, on the other hand, where everyone knows that they're always welcome at this table. Now that is good news. So we should pursue it. We should practice it. First Peter 4.8, above all, this is the RSV translation, above all, Hold unfailing your love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. Practice it. Have you ever been to a practice before? Right? It's usually like everyone's wearing their practice uniforms. You know, uh, no one's like dressed the way they're supposed to be dressed. They're wearing mismatched socks in hockey. Uh, People are out there, uh, you know, just really going for it. And they're failing. They're trying. They're failing. They're learning. They're practicing. This is what practice is all about. Practice doesn't ask for perfection. Practice doesn't ask you to get it right the first time. Practice says just keep doing it until, so that it forms you and it shapes you to be the kind of person, to be the kind of player, to be the kind of athlete you might want to be, to be the kind of musician you want to be. Practice, 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 practice. Mozart says, if it is a mistake to think that the practice of my art has become easy to me. I assure you, dear friend. <laughs> I love that. If someone says, dear friend, to you, you know something's coming. I assure you, dear friend, no one has given so much care to the study of composition as I. There is scarcely a famous master in music whose works I have not frequently and diligently studied. Mozart. Big news in sports, friends. Tiger Woods has won his 82nd tournament. Yeah, 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 this is huge. Yeah, I don't know if that's worth... I mean, to a golfer, that's insane. 
To win 82 times in the number of times he's entered, it's insane. The, the reason why I'm telling you this is that he tied Sam Sneed's record. This is a record that has stood for a very long time. Any of you old-timers in the room, you know who Sam Sneed is, right? Sam Sneed says this. Here's how it connects. <laughs> Practice puts brains in your muscles. Isn't that good? Practice. Some of you are like, that whole Tiger Woods thing was just a setup for that? Yeah, it, it was. And I was, really, really, I was quite excited that he won the 82nd, so I just wanted to put it in there. Practice puts muscles in your brains in your muscles. So beautiful. And notice for oh, Malcolm Gladwell. Do you guys know him? He talks about 10,000 hours to master something. How many hours have you invested in hospitality? How many hours have you invested in the practice of hospitality? Some of you are like, I'm like Martha Stewart. I have the gift of hospitality. I love hospitality. And some of you are, maybe that's not the best person to hold up for hospitality anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Just the first one that came to my mind. You know, an icon of hospitality. You're like, I love that person. And some of you are like, I don't, I don't do hospitality. Well, are you practicing? Are you like investing any hours in just like moving towards one thing that you could do to like open the door of your life to someone else? Practicing hospitality. And notice for Paul, it's not just that you do it, but that you do it ungrudgingly. You know, you've been to that dinner where they're like, oh no, we're really glad you're here. And you're thinking, you should tell your face. You know what I mean? <laughs> Laura and I have this joke. We're like, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Oh, you really should tell your face. Yeah. You know? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Really? You should tell your face. Like, do it ungrudgingly. Not, like, because you have to and because of, uh, out of a sense of obligation. Oh, God, Lord, have mercy. How many things have we done in religion out of obligation and duty? Say it again, Micah. Right? Like, uh, it just it never bears fruit because it's not true. It's not authentic. So Paul says, do it ungrudgingly out of an overflow of something. So you got to get it in order to give it. We're going to go there in a minute. Paul says, just like, do it ungrudgingly with joy in your heart. Paul, who wrote a significant portion of the New Testament, says, above all, love each other and practice hospitality. So pursue it, chase after it, long for it, desire to do it, and practice it. One thing, is there one thing you could do that would move the needle in your, in your practice of hospitality this week towards a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, anybody? Your dog. I mean, let's practice on, you know, canines first. Anything, right? And then the writer of Hebrews says, don't forget. Don't forget it. This is a good one for me, terribly forgetful. Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Because some entertain angels unaware, which that's a fascinating passage. We're like, oh, maybe it's an angel. I don't really think that's the point. I, I, I think like you don't know. You don't know who it is that you've welcomed. You don't know their story. You don't know how many times the door has been shut in their face. You don't know how many times they felt unwelcomed. You don't know how many times they felt like they weren't loved or that they didn't belong. You're entertaining something and you don't know what it is maybe. So just practice it out of love because you don't know. I think that's maybe a little bit better. Uh, that's just my version of it. Either way, don't forget it. Despite the biblical call for hospitality, like if you care about the Bible, you care about this life of Jesus, the Bible says like practice it, pursue it, do it. And yet, 
It's the opposite of what we want. It's so the opposite of what we're inclined to do. It's like gravity, right? Gravity is this thing that just pulls you to the earth. It tethers you to the earth. And it takes like rocket fuel to propel you outside of its effect. You know what I'm saying? Hospitality is like you got to get rocket fuel. You got to be renewed by something other than yourself. You got to have an experience with something that generous and that abundant and that good to like want to give it away. Don't forget and it's easy to forget. It's easy to be self-centered. It's easy to let Luther, you know, whether you like him or not, he said, I love this one, said, sin is the heart turned in on itself. The opposite of that is the heart turned out to the other. That's what we're made for. So don't forget hospitality because that helps you do this, not this. Job, good old Job, he even used hospitality as an argument to God for why he shouldn't be suffering. <laughs> Job 31, he's like, the sojourner has not lodged in the street. I've opened my doors to the wayfarer. Why? I'm baby-stepping. I'm doing the work. Why am I suffering? So why is it so important? I'll close with this. Why is it so important that we name hospitality as a value in our community, as a church? And this, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Torah, the first five books of the Bible are not interested in telling you how God made the world. How many days it took, how many hours, was it 24 literal, I don't know. I don't care, I don't think God cares. I don't think the person who wrote Genesis cares. Not what they were interested. The interesting question is what kind of God are we talking about? What kind of deity, what kind of divine being is this, like, is this being far away, uninterested, disinterested, even like have animosity towards us, or is there something else going on here? So when we go back to Torah and we have statements about the character and the nature of God, ah, pay attention, friends. You're going to want to hang out on this. So what do we learn about God in Leviticus way back in the beginning? When the law comes to the Israelites, the people of God, to be the people of God in the world, what are they told? Leviticus 19, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you. What has been said? Whatever markers you use to differentiate yourself from the other, they don't work here. Blood is not thicker. Whatever tribal identity you have that differentiates you from someone else does not allow you to exclude someone from hospitality. Whatever the skin color of the person is does not allow you to distance yourself or deny hospitality to your brother or your sister. Whatever differentiating marker you use to separate yourself from another does not allow you to deny generous hospitality, even blood. You shall, they shall be native as the native among you, and you shall love them as yourself. You think Jesus makes all this stuff up? He's, he's got help. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said that later. Come on. Why is hospitality and brotherly love and care of the stranger, the foreigner, the newcomer, the sojourner so important to Paul and the New Testament people of God? Because this is who God is. When God speaks about what God is like early in the story, God says, abundant, generous, hospitable. This is who I am. This is who you are to be. Listen to how it ends. Leviticus 19. For you, do all these things, they shall be a native among you, you shall love them as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. 
If you're a Jew and you know the Old Testament, you know that any time it starts with, I am the Lord your God, what follows is who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Because this is how God describes God's self. At the beginning of the story, it was God who not only redeemed and brought them out of Egypt, but then welcomed them and prepared a place for them to inhabit where they would be a light, a city on a hill that could not be hidden. Not a nationalistic identity that it turned in on itself. We've, too bad that story is not played out again. But rather, something that would be for all, you've turned my house of prayer into a den of thieves, was supposed to be a house for all nations. It was God who redeemed them, brought them up out of Egypt, welcomed them, set a table generously for them. And it is the hospitality of God known to us in Christ. While we, while I, am and was and are a stranger, an alien, a wanderer, it is God in Christ who invites me and you back to the table that has been set generously for you. I loved watching you all come in here today. It was better first hour because the first hour people didn't know what was going on. They're like, Did they? new people were like, do they do this every week? Like, is that for me? Can I, can I eat that? <coughs> Did you do that for me? Yes. Yes and yes. And now, think about this in, from the divine. Like, do we, do we come and we say like, to God, like, is this for me? Did you do that for us? Like, can we eat? Did you do all of this for us? And God's like, yes, yes, yes. And guess who can't come to this table? Keep working. You're never going to get it. Because there isn't an answer to that question. As long as this table is set and as long as there is food on it, you may come and you may eat. Why? Because this is what God is like. Why is hospitality important? Because this is who God is. God says, out of the abundance and overflow and generosity of God's character, we have a table set where we come. The prophet Isaiah says, come and eat buy with food, eat food that you can't afford and buy things you you don't have money for. Come and eat and drink. It's yours. It's available to you today, right here, right now. So I don't know where you've come from. I don't know how you got here. I don't know what you brought in the doors, but maybe today for the first time or as a reminder, like may you know that the character of the divine is abundant and generous and open and free and yours. That's good news, people. That there is a table that has been set, that there's enough for everybody. We don't have to decide who gets to sit here or who doesn't. God can work out what God wants to do, but the table's been set, and there's, it just keeps coming, you know? It like just keeps populating itself. I don't know how it happens, but it's wild. There's blueberries, and there's grapes, and there's oranges. There's pickles up here, people. There's gluten-free. Everybody's welcome. Yeah. So for maybe hear, hear me say it, people. If you have heard from the church that you weren't welcome and that you didn't belong and that you weren't lovable and that you had something wrong with you, I just want to say maybe a different story today. Here, that I don't think that's what God is like. God says, act this way in the world. When a sojourner, someone who is not a part of your tribe comes, welcome them like they were your own, like they are your own. Why should you do that? Because that's what I'm like. 
And that's what you're to be like. Why? Because I made you in my image. And so you are to reflect what I am like in the world. And when you're greedy and stingy and you withhold things from people who want them, that is not what I am like and I do not appreciate it. So hear it again, friends. If I could say anything today, hospitality, abundance, generosity, like overflow. This is the divine character. And this is what we see all through the story and what we see so clearly in Christ. The abundance, the benevolence, the hospitality of the divine. So maybe you've never ate and drank. Do it, to, like literally, today. You can eat this today. There, like if there's communion wine left over, you can drink it. There's all kinds of stuff up here. Practically speaking, there's all kinds of ways that people could get involved in hospitality at Awaken. You know, we have certain teams. We have a hospitality team. They make your coffee. They buy your donuts, blah, blah, blah. But if you call Awaken home, you are not off the hook, okay? Like, this is all of our responsibility. When someone comes to Awaken and they're looking for a home and a place to, like, lay their head, you know, like they're a bird out in the field looking for a place to land, and they come here and they don't find welcome and they don't find hospitality, that is not my fault. That is not the staff's fault. That is our fault, Together, as a church, we bear that responsibility. Together. So when somebody comes and they're standing in the front door and they have their two kids and they look like a deer caught in headlights, you can say to them, are you looking for the nursery? I know where that is. I can show you. If they're standing in the back going like this, you can say, the bathrooms are terribly difficult to find. They're right over here. Let me help you find them. You can do that. You don't have to find a staff person to help you. Like, we bless you. I deputize you to do that work. All of you. Okay? If somebody's new and like, you can help. Oh, yeah, the cards, they're right here. Yep, they're just in the back of these right here. Here they are. If you're new, you can just fill one of these out. Yeah, sure. The staff, somebody on our team, they love to connect with you, take you out for a drink of your choice. You've heard it a billion times. You can do that. Sorry, that was a little. <laughs> I once had a, a sermon where I was, I literally brought a wiffle ball, golf ball up onto stage and I was, grip, aim, posture was my, you know, my alliteration. So I'm like, grip, aim, posture. And I was going to hit a ball off the stage. And I just, I don't know why I chose a three iron. <laughs> it's a very low trajectory. And I just like snap hooked one and nearly took out this lady in the third row. <laughs> Second hour, I chose an eight iron and it worked flawlessly. So sorry about that. Ne hadn't thought that through. You can do that work though. You know what I'm saying? You can do that. So I, I deputize you all to like be the hospitality team at Awaken. Um, it, it, even if you're an introvert, you might be thinking, oh no, if if that were, I know you're an extrovert, Micah, you can't make me do that. And if there were an introvert up here saying, you'd be like, okay, I can hear it from them, but I don't hear it from you, 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 can, you can appropriate it to your introvertedness, okay? But you're not off the hook. I, I think hospitality is really important to being the people of God. Because with all the questions and all the things people are searching for and longing for in our world, when they come to a church and they don't feel welcome, it is a dagger that kills the curiosity, the search. And may it never be true here. Like, as God is my witness as long as I'm here. Like, we're going to work on that. And I want to invite you in on that. I can't be the only one. So let's be a church together that says, listen, man, the table is set. <laughs> Come and eat. All of it. Any of it. 
So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do communion. And so in just a minute, I'll invite you to come. There's gluten-free bread, so you don't have to worry about it. There's going to be two stations, one over here, one over here. There's red wine. There's white grape juice. And take the bread, dip it in the cup, body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ shed for you. And then, choose your own adventure. <laughs> like, stay. Hang out. And it'll be awkward. I'll blow out the candles so we don't have a fire, but things might get tipped over. Cool. Clearly, we have a lot to clean up. Just add to it. Uh, pay attention to who's around you. To who might be next to you, trying to find a space into the circle. And even in that small, awkward interchange as we do this, maybe we'll just kind of watch this hospitality thing grow in us a little bit today. So Jesus was with his friends, and he broke bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. He said, this is a cup, a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. And it's a table for any. It's a table for all. It's a table that I don't prepare, but that the Lord prepares. Not the church. So if you've been here a hundred times, or once, or never before, come back. If you feel close to God, or really far away from God, or that you're running a hundred miles an hour in the opposite direction, like, come. You're welcome. It's a table for you. Set by the Lord. Not the church, not the institution, not the pastor. So eat and drink, and have your fill. Let me pray. We'll invite the kids. We'll sing. And then, man, I'm hungry. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for this time to be together. Thanks for uh, this table as a metaphor for who you are and what you're like. I pray that in the next few moments that there would be a real sense of knowing, like deep in our bones, in our mouths, in our bellies, about what you are like. That not just this idea, but that you have set a table of food that we can be nourished with. So I pray that whatever needs are present, somehow, in your mysterious way, that there'd be enough fish and enough bread. Friends, I think if God is like anything... If you've ever felt like a wanderer, if you've ever felt like you have left home and maybe can't find your way back, that God is always the one saying, welcome home. Um, there's enough. The table is set. The party is waiting for you. And I think if we could be anything like that, in our humanity, bearing the image of God, where we as a church just say, welcome. And so I want to encourage you, whatever step you may feel led to in your own life, personally, as a family, as a single person, as a person who works, what does hospitality look like? Generous hospitality, where you open up to someone other than yourself. Uh, move towards that. Say yes to that. And as a church, we commit to that. We're, we've, we've painted it on a board. So we got to do it now, right? <laughs> So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the church said with joy in their hearts and food in their bellies. Amen. You know what to do. See you next week.
find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.